Hello everyone, welcome to Exploring Middle Earth. My name is Jay. And I am Grant. We decided to re-record our first episode because we have better sound quality now and we wanted to make a better first impression for our new listeners. Yeah, so if this is your first time listening, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. If you go to episode two, it will be back to the original sound quality, but don't worry, it gets better later on. Uh, we originally released this episode two years ago, and our sound quality has improved as well as our podcasting abilities. Yeah, so if you enjoy this episode, check out our ever-growing list of episodes diving deep into all topics of Middle-earth, from the wizards to dragons to Sauron to even the chapters of The Hobbit, and later on we will be doing uh, all the chapters of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, so check those out when those come out. Yes. So we hope you enjoy the episode, and come back to check out our other episodes in the future. Welcome, everybody, to episode one of Exploring Middle Earth. Yes, welcome. Welcome, everybody. So Exploring Middle Earth is a podcast all about deep dives into the various topics and phenomenons, or whatever <laughs> you want to call them, of Middle Earth, uh, Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's works, whatever you want to say. Yeah. I am your host, or one of the hosts, Grant, and with me today is... Jay. And That's he me. will always be with me. Wait. Yes. <laughs> uh, he'll be <laughs> with me for every <laughs> Interesting. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess, would be considered the resident Tolkien expert here. Um, yes. I don't know what other Tolkien experts are around in my area, so I am just claiming... Hot Tolkien experts yeah. in your area. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I'm just claiming the sole Tolkien expert yeah. status in my area. Um, I've been reading uh, all of Tolkien's works for about eight years now, every single year. Mm -hmm. um, I start with the Silmarillion in May, and I kind of do a year, uh, like a summer read-through, basically. Go Silmarillion, Unfinished Tales, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings trilogy, end with Tales of a, from a Perilous Realm. And I throw in a few of his other books in, uh, here and there, kind of like every other year I switch them up a little bit, just so I can kind of fit them all in. Um, yeah, so I've been a big fan for about seven years. I first got started uh, after watching the Hobbit movies. This was about 2014, 2015, after they had all come out. And I was very interested in the map. I had never like really seen a picture of the map before. And from a young age, I've, I was always interested in geography and maps and stuff like that. And I would actually draw maps, like draw fantasy maps. And um, so I saw the Hobbit map. I looked it up Google and I saw the Hobbit map and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I, I kind of want to draw this, you know, because I was just inspired. And so I was starting to draw it and I'm like, oh, I kind of like all these places that are mentioned in the map and stuff like that. I'm like, I kind of want to know more about them. So I actually stumbled upon Lord of the Rings more from researching it before I was actually reading it and then I got so interested in by my research that I bought the books it was just like a simple paperback set the hobbit and the three books and I read it very quickly that summer and it was absolutely amazing mm -hmm. um yeah so I yeah so that's kind of my history with uh Lord of the Rings um I basically just research it for fun like that's what I do for fun so Nice, Grant. Yeah, that's me. That's Grant. Nutshell. Yeah, so I'm Jay. I uh, I know less than Grant, but, you know, I'm learning. I'm learning about Lord of the Rings. I've been uh, reading and watching the movies for about 
five or six years, I guess now. Yeah. Extended um, edition. Yeah. Only. Yeah, only extended edition. Grant introduced me to Lord of the Rings. Um, I actually I went to a uh, his house for a twenty four hour Hobbit Lord of the Rings marathon with uh, our other friend Zach. Yeah, as other well. friend Zach yeah. and I. You'll hear him on the po- other podcasts as well. Yes, and I hadn't been exposed to any Lord of the Rings at all, and I slept through most of it. I watched most of the Hobbit because that was the first thing we watched. But then yeah. I was tired through Lord of the Rings, so I slept through most of it. Yeah. But then I started to read the books i read the hobbit and lord of the rings and got really into it with the help of grant grant uh it was nice to have somebody to talk to about it and yeah. converse about it yeah. share ideas in pretty much what we're doing on this podcast but um yeah so ever since then i've been reading and uh studying it especially for his podcast learning about it and it's just been a wild ride but yeah. it has led us here yeah so, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've got a soundboard too, which is yeah. cool. Um, uh, let's get into it. This whole episode is about hobbits, hobbit lore, whatever you want to say, description of hobbits, different kind of histories about hobbits. Um, do you mind if I read a passage from The Hobbit? No, I don't. Actually, mind, two passages. Sorry. Well, I mind now, but um, I'm just kidding. Do it, Grant. Yeah, I will be reading a lot of passages. Do it, yeah. Uh Okay, obviously, I'm going to start in The Hobbit with Chapter 1, An Unexpected Party. Okay. It's the it's the classic opening paragraph, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. So we already get our first idea. I like that line, hobbit hole, that means comfort. Yes. And then uh, skipping a page. One, two, skip a few. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm going to go down to this bigger paragraph, and I'll read this. Explains hobbits a little bit more. The mother of our particular hobbit. What is a hobbit? I suppose hobbits need some description nowadays, since they have become rare and shy of the big people, as they call us. They are, or were, a little people, about half our height and smaller than the bearded dwarves. Hobbits have no beards. There is little or no magic about them, except the ordinary everyday sort which helps them to disappear quietly and quickly when large stupid folk like you and me come blundering along, making a noise like elephants which they can hear a mile off. They are inclined to be fat in the stomach, they dress in bright colors, chiefly green and yellow, wear no shoes because their feet grow natural leathery soles and thick warm brown hair like the stuff on their heads, which is curly, have long clever brown fingers, good-natured faces, and laugh deep fruity laughs, especially after dinner, which they have twice a day when they can get it. Now you know enough to go on with. So that's a good description of the hobbits right there. Yes. Through the words of Tolkien himself. Um, I mean, if, if, if you're coming to this podcast as well to learn more about uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth, all that sort of stuff. There's a pretty good chance you've obviously, you know, like watched the Hobbit movies, watched the Lord of the Rings movies, or read the books, or have done all of them, and you just want to keep learning. Um, so there's a good chance that all of you listening to this will know what a Hobbit is, but we're going to go through it anyways. Yeah. So, Jay, give me a little more. What is a Hobbit? Um. Okay, so Hobbits... Hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a good start, yeah. <laughs> Hobbits are halflings. Um. They are uh, just like a dwarf is a halfling. Hobbits are halflings. They're usually between two to four feet tall. And um, their average lifespan um, is around just over 100 years. Um, yeah, a little more than an average man. The uh, Lord of the Rings Project.com did a um, study on it of 
the adri- they take the lifespans that Tolkien lists for all the different races and, or the different people in each race yeah. in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits came out to an average of 102.9 years. Nice. So a good long while. Yeah. Um, the oldest Hobbit recorded, other than the ring bearers, uh, Bilbo, Frodo, and um, Gollum because of the influence the ring has on uh, the ring bearers, makes them live longer. Yeah. Uh, it was the old Took who lived to 130 years old, which I'll talk about later. And then the tallest Hobbits... Uh, was Brandabas, uh at four feet six inches, and he was the only hobbit that tall until Merry and Pippin drank the Et drought, uh, which grew them uh, also to four foot six. Yeah, pretty tall. Yeah, so th- those were the three tallest hobbits and the oldest hobbit. Um, and hobbits resided in Eriador, specifically the Shire in Bree. Um, and the Shire is just that calming, peaceful place mm-hmm. in Middle Earth where all the hobbits live in the holes there. Uh, the hobbits did not create their own language, but they adapted the language of men they lived by or with. Um, so they just speak in common tongue. Uh, I guess English. I don't know. I don't know what Tolkien calls it, but just common tongue. Yeah. Um, and the Shire rec- or Shire calendar is different than the regular calendar. So year one of the Shire Reckoning started with them crossing the Brandywine River, uh, which is different than um, the first, third, and second age reckonings. Um so to find the year it was in the Elvish or Dunedine, Dunedine uh, reckoning is by adding 1,600 years to the date. Um, and there, uh, the uh, middle class lived in houses above the ground uh, of hobbits, but what you most know is hobbits who lived in holes in the ground. Yeah. And um, so the origins of hobbits, um, nearly all scholars agree that men were closely, closely related to hobbits, far more closely than men were with elves or dwarves, and it is commonly assumed that the hobbits were among the younger children of Iluvatar and were the rest, or were the result of the same act of creation as men. Uh, so if you don't know, Iluvatar is the creator of Arda and all of the earth in Middle-earth. Yeah. Um, and the children of Iluvatar are the elves. Um, well, ch- Aren't men considered children of Iluvatar? Yes, they're yeah. the second, the younger children of Iluvatar, yeah. Yeah, so um, so this would imply that the hobbits had the gift of men to pass entirely beyond Arda. Um, but it is, but uh, to note uh, with the lifespans, hobbits do live longer than men, um, aside from the Numenorians. Yeah. Just regular men, hobbits live longer than regular men. Yeah. Um, so it is supposed that hobbits branched out uh, from the men uh, as a race in the elder days, but they don't appear at all in the chronicles of the elves. Their exact origin is unknown, but in their early days, they could they could have been uh, primitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come into records no earlier than the early Third Age, uh, when they were living in the vales of the Anduin in the Wilderland, between Mirkwood and the Misty Mountains. Um, so the Third Age is when the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings take place, but there's still a whole history before it. Yeah. Um, and they have lost the genealogical details of how they related to the rest of mankind. Um, and while they stayed there between Mirkwood and the Misty Mountains, the Northmen knew them. Uh, their descendants, the Rohirrim, had that memory of the Hobbitlan, uh, and they remained... An, uh, Hobbitlan is how they s- the Rohirrim said it. Mm-hmm. Or they said it in Rohan. Yeah. Uh, and they remained an object of lore until they contacted them during the War of the Ring. Um, many old words uh, 
in names in Habitish are cognates of the words of the of the Rohir or of Rohan. Um, uh, so much so that even someone with li- linguistic training could make out the relation. Mary, Mary Doc Brandybuck could la- would later write an entire book devoted to the relationship, which I'll talk about later. But um, yeah, I'm going to pass it back to Grant for the early Third Age and when they first come about in Middle-earth. Yes, so basically Hobbit history really begins with the early Third Age, like Jay was saying. Um so yeah, so although hobbits didn't come into the records and histories of the elves or the Dúnedain until the mid-third age, it was known, after some deep searches by Gandalf, that the hobbits lived in the Anduin Valley in the early third age. They were known to the woodmen and the ancestors of the Rohirrim, but they had little contact. The only reason we know this is because some of the words the hobbits use in the Shire can be traced back to the language of the Ro- that the Rohirrim speak, kind of like what Jay was saying with the, the whole bitlin. Um, so the actual word Holbitla, which uh, it means whole builder in Old English, and Old English was the language that Tolkien modeled Rohiric after. And then there was also the word Matham, which uh, means treasures or trinkets, uh, became so Holbitla and Matham became Hobbit and Matham. And you'll you'll hear about Mathams uh, here and there within the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Mathams are just little trinkets, like I said. <clears throat> In the early um, to mid-third age, the hobbits walked around in three different family groups, and we'll talk about these a little more in detail later on. And these were the Harfoots, the Stores, and the Fallowhides. Um, the Harfoots apparently had contact with the dwarves of the Grey and Misty Mountains, but apparently they weren't, I guess, important enough to really stay in their records yeah. um, because the hobbits were inspired by them to live in the holes in the hills and also to wear heavy boots. Um, during the early Third Age, many of the hobbits grew uneasy due to the influx of men from the east into Rovania, who often raided the Northmen, and most likely the hobbits if they found them, as well as the growing shadow in Dol Guldur in southern Mirkwood. So, because of their uneasiness, they took on the painful task of crossing the Misty Mountains and entering Eriador, which began their wandering days. And some of the stores, however, returned once again to the Valley of the Anduin. So now we go into the Hobbit's wandering days. They don't really have a home. What yeah. do they do? What do they do, Jay? They're like nomads. So the wander Grant mentioned the wandering days. Uh the wandering days was a term used by the Hobbits to refer to the centuries long period of their migration uh over the Misty Mountains to Eridor, um uh from their race's ancestral home uh somewhere in the wild east. Yes. So this is a uh um quote from the Lord of the Rings. It says their own records began only after the settlement of the Shire and their most ancient legends hardly took, hardly looked further back than their wandering days. It is clear nonetheless from these legends and from the evidence of the peculiar words and customs that like many other folk hobbits had in their distant past moved westward. Their earliest tales seem to glimpse at a time when they dwelt in the upper vales of the Anduin between the eaves of the Greenwood Greenwood the Great in the Misty Mountains. And Greenwood the Great is uh, Mirkwood. Yeah. Um, so the oral history and memory of the Hobbits did not extend further back past their wandering days. And like Grant said, the Harfoots um, uh, migrated over um, and over into Eridor, which was about uh, 1150 of the Third Age. Or 11, 1050, and then 1150, the Fallowhides followed while many of the stores who emerged 
um, from the Red Redhorn Pass settled near Tharbad in Dunland. Yeah. Um, in uh, 1300 of the Third Age, the Kingdom of Angmar was founded, so the northern hobbits had to flee further westward, reaching Bree. Um, some stores returned to the Gladden, and others continued westward in their first settlement uh, were the, in Bree and Staddle. And then eventually in the year 1601, a large population of Bree hobbits was granted permission by King Argleb II, uh, one of the last few kings of the Arthedain, to colonize the region beyond the Brandywine, and were li- later joined by the Stores of Dunland. This would become the Shire and the main homeland of uh, most of Hobbit kind. Yeah. So we have, I guess I'm kind of breaking the fourth wall here. We oh. have, <laughs> we have uh, a ton of episodes uh, talking about all these different things. So if you want to go ahead and listen to those. Yeah. Uh, you can get more of a deeper dive on like who King Argleb the second is and the Bree and specifically their movement there and mm-hmm. the Mirkwood and the Misty Mountains and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh kind of picking up where Jay left off, this is third age sixteen oh one. Now is the beginning of the Shire and the beginning of their record, so we have a lot more uh to talk about as far as history goes. Yeah. So like Jay was saying, sixteen oh one of the third age, there were two brothers of Hobbits that were of the Fallohide family named Marco and Blanco. Those mean uh white or er, horse and white horse in a modernized old English slash Celtic language. These brothers came from Bree and wanted to expand their lands. They passed over the Brandywine River and discovered a beautiful land of rolling hills and quiet woodlands. Uh, word went around, and many hobbits left Bree in their old settlements and settled west of the Brandywine in a land they named the Shire. Their old settlements, other than in Breeland, were depopulated quickly and abandoned. So the Shire was formerly farmlands for the kings of Arnor, um, and then they were later royal hunting grounds for Arthedine. When Marco and Blanco entered into the land, they received special permission from King Argleb II, like Jay was saying, um, to settle lands and because he gave them permission to live there they were technically under the or they were subjects to Arthedine now so they were subjects to the kings of Norbury is what they called Fornost Norbury. which I think is really cool Norbury um, during the war against Angmar in the north the hobbits willingly sent some supporting archers to the king of Arthedine though none returned hobbits remained <laughs> sad, wow. hobbits remained fairly pacifist after that now, after the fall of Arthedine and the other old kings of, kingdoms of Arnor, the Shire remained as an independent land who still followed the rules and law of Arthedine, even though there weren't any more kings. Um, instead, they were ruled, uh, I guess ruled is kind of a strict term, but they uh, it wasn't really ruled. It was kind of guided, I guess. Watched by, over. Yeah, watched over mm-hmm. by the mayor at Delving, which was their unofficial capital. Um, and that was more in the, the west of the Shire, and then also the Thane of the Took family. Mm-hmm. Um, the wayward Dunedain Rangers, which were um, basically the descendants of fallen Arthedine, kept watch over the Shire's borders, creating a sense of peace and security that allowed uh, the hobbits to grow fat and happy in their little land. Swing! <laughs> uh, the only people that actually entered the Shire were dwarves on their way to the mines in the Blue Mountains and elves on their way to the Grey Havens. Um, so now skipping ahead a little bit sometime in the third age 2340 the old bucks led by Bucca of the Marish left the Shire due to overpopulation and they went east of the Brandywine and founded Buckland which is outside of the Shire and it was ruled independently by the family patriarch 
also called the Master of Buckland. And now uh, the old Buck family was called the Brandy Bucks because by the Brandy wine, Bucks, you mm-hmm. know, all that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, so though most years and indeed centuries were peaceful, the hobbits faced a fair share of adversity for the size of their people. The Great Plague, though not as strong in the wide open, less populated Shire, affected them in 1636, and a thousand years later, in the Third Age 2747, goblins from Mount Graham invaded the Shire until they were defeated and driven out in the Battle of Greenfields. Bull Roarer took one the day. Jay will talk about him Bull later. Bull Roarer. Bull Roarer. Bull Roarer. We love him, dude. Um, then, a, about a ten years later, about the, ten years. Uh, the long winter came in the year 2758, and a famine followed shortly after in the days of, is it Dearth or Dearth? D-E-A-R-T-H. I'm going to say dearth. Dearth. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, guys, <laughs> in 2760, so there was a famine then. Mm. Uh, though much bravery was shown during the Battle of Greenfields, now kindliness and faith in good was on display as all hobbits in the Shire showed great care for their neighbors. Nice, dude. In 2911, another deadly winter came, named the Fell Winter. And wow, white, dude. And white wolves came across the frozen brandywine and terrorized the hobbits. Gandalf was crucial in aiding the hobbits during this time. Nice, Gandalf. Yeah, good good man, Gandalf. Good guy, good guy. Yeah, so now that's a good chunk of the Shire, early early Shire, and then we get into the stuff that is the good stuff. a little more important, you know, a little more important. Mm-hmm. This is during the time of Bilbo and Frodo. So the Shire had enjoyed a few decades of relative peace once more when all of a sudden in 2941, Gandalf and 13 dwarves showed up, and Bilbo Baggins was swept away on an adventure. Nice, dude. No one had expected predictable Bilbo to leave, but his Tookish instinct kicked in. And we'll talk about the Tooks. Tooks. I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Bilbo returned, fabulously wealthy, I might add, oh, he yeah. found many of his neighbors had presumed him dead and were auctioning off his estate. The Sackville, wow, <laughs> the Sackville Bagginses were loath to see him return, as they would l- have likely inherited Bag End upon his death. So imagine having cousins like that. You know, yeah, so. man. Um, Gold so, diggers. Yeah. Bilbo's wealth became the talk of the Shire for a while, as well as his wild stories of dwarves and trolls and elves and dragons. For the first time, the Shire and hobbits were now on the map, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, they were on the map. Already. On the map. Yeah, so Sauron, yeah, Saruman, I almost said Sauron. That's okay. uh, Saruman began to notice the interest Gandalf took in the Shire and the Hobbits, and he sent spies to circle its borders and find out what was so interesting. In this way, he discovered the origins of Gandalf's pipeweed smoking, and he took it up himself, but in shh, in secret. Mm-hmm. And you keep quiet. Yeah. Uh, when Gandalf suspected that the ring Bilbo found on his adventure, now passed down to Frodo, was the One Ring of Sauron. The guard around the borders was doubled, and less spies of Sauron came to the Shire. And then we come to Gollum, the sneaky thief. Gollum. So Gollum had told Sauron, um, after being tortured, you know, poor guy, uh, of Baggins and Shire. And now the nine ringwraiths were sent to search for the Shire and Baggins. Most of the rangers had left at this time to fight in the distant wars, like, you know, to aid Elrond and Rivendell and their chieftain Aragorn um, against the orcs on the borders. And so now the Shire was left mostly unguarded, which, you know, leads to bad things. Yeah. 
uh, after the Ringwraiths had infiltrated the Shire. I'm skipping ahead because these are all in the books, and we're like literally about to do a deep dive into Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And this is just about the Shire, so we're just kind of skipping through. Yeah, it. skipping around. Yeah. Hopping, skipping around. So after the Ringwraiths had infiltrated the Shire and the War of the Ring close to over, Saruman was able to, after his release from Orthanc with Treebeard, um, he was able to capture the Shire with his ruffians, um, which were mostly Dunlundings and Breemen, under the moniker of Sharky. Sharky? Yeah. Wow. Um, that comes from an Orcish word from the black speech, uh, Sharku, which means old man. Sharku. Yeah. Uh, Sharkuderi. Sharku, take a look at my life. <laughs> uh, upon <laughs> returning, Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin found the Shire a waste of industrialized buildings and machines and all the old mm. trees were gone. Industrialization. The yeah, the rivers polluted, all that bad stuff. No one likes that. No one likes to see that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, especially going back to your home after a long time and you see it's completely changed. We all know what that's like. Yeah. Well, I I hope not everyone knows what yeah, that's like. Too. Yeah. Uh <laughs> suspecting Lotho Sackville Baggins behind it all, the Shires the Shires. <laughs> 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 I feel like some of my notes got really messed up because this is looking weird. The Shires. Uh, yeah, anyways, our heroes, Frodo, Sam, Mary Pippin, lead an uprising of formerly scared hobbits and discover Saruman behind it all. After Saruman's betrayal and death at the hands of Wormtongue, the hobbits go back to work and restore all the things back to the peaceful life that they had. Yeah, Let's go. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, with a few additions yeah, of yeah. the Malorn tree, and then also they had more land added to the west, granted to them by the new king, Elisar. So I think it was called West March, and it was around the Tower Hills. And then also Buckland, previously independent from the Shire, became a part of the Shire. And then so now you've got the Master of Buckland. You've got the Keeper of the towers like fair barons i think it's called and then you've got the thane of the tooks and then you've got the mayor at mickle delving and all of those were like kind of like co-leaders of the shire and then they were also um counselors on the courts of the king so aragorn elisar yes. um, invited them to do that also it should probably be mentioned we say aragorn around here yeah, not Aragorn. Uh huh. Um, I can't remember why. Yeah, Grant told me. <laughs> I I ex I explained. I almost can't remember why either. I explained it in one of our um, future episodes, but I it sounds weird talking about future episodes when this is supposed to be episode one. Yeah. Um, I think I was just reading one day and like uh, Lord of the Rings, and I think like I don't know what it was, but I think. I was looking at some of the way that some like the Elvish words were pronounced, like in Sindarin, and Aragorn technically is a Sindarin word; it's Elvish. And I was looking at it, and I'm like, like the the way we pronounce Aragorn is a very English thing, like mm -hmm. an English language thing. A R isn't technically air in Elvish; mm -hmm. it would be pronounced R. So I thought, oh, it's not Aragorn; it's mm -hmm. Aragorn. Yeah, and then I just blindly followed what Grant yeah. said. <laughs> so, and then, like, if you look at his father, his father's name is Arathorn, and I'm like, Arathorn. That, like, it almost just seems better at this point. And now, yeah. like, I keep saying it. We mess up sometimes to say the other. And we keep there. trying to contact Tolkien to see what the correct pronunciation yeah, is, but he hasn't gotten back, back to us yeah. yet. And then, so. so, we also tried Christopher Tolkien, too, his son. He hasn't gotten back either, so. Yeah. I don't know. They just might be ignoring us. Yeah. <sighs> what a joke. Um... Yeah! 
<laughs> Wait, what the heck? <laughs> what? <laughs> I must have switched the. There we go. Wow. There we go. Yeah, I there switched the keys for a second by accident. Yeah. Um. And last thing, it is said that in later ages, the Shire became increasingly less populated and they hid themselves from the big folk. And that is mentioned at the beginning of The Hobbit when he talks about they disappear and like hide away from the big folk. Um, Yeah, so that is the full history. Well, I mean, we could have gone deeper, like I said, but you've got The Hobbit to read. You've got Lord of the Rings to read. You've got all this stuff you can read. And we do go more in depth in other episodes so this is just a, a good basis intro. for the history yeah intro it's a good episode. intro it's a good intro episode mm-hmm. that's why we do it you know mm-hmm. so that is the history of hobbits and the shire and we've got more stuff in store for this episode we've got uh, famous hobbits and some of their uh, characteristics and whatnot well let's go to an ad yeah let's take a little ad break that. see you guys after the ad all right guys welcome back to exploring middle earth we are continuing our deep dive onto onto <laughs> into more like into uh, into hobbits. Uh, we're going to talk about some famous hobbits, and doubtless you've heard of some of these at least. Yeah, right? you got to. Yeah, cause, I mean, because guess who the first one is? Uh, Bilbo. Yeah, I mean that was. Yeah. it was either that or Easy Frodo. Go. Those are the two obvious choices. Mm-hmm. Um, what a name, Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, BB. Cool BB, Bilbo Baggins. BB. Bilbo Baggins was a well-to-do hobbit with little to nothing adventurous about him. Mm. He was well-respected and notably wealthy, as his mother was Belladonna Took and father was Bungo Baggins. Bungo. That's another great name. That's Let me tell name. you. He lived alone in Bag End in Hobbiton of the Shire. Born in 2890 of the Third Age, he was also the grandson of the Old Took, who we will also talk about. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In his youth, Bilbo had attended many grand parties where Gandalf, the wizard, told fantastical stories and showed off his fireworks, and he also witnessed the fell winter in his youth and also the white wolves. So that must have been scary. Yeah. I think that was like around the time when he was like 10 or something like that. Yeah. Big young boy. scary, yeah. So after his parents had passed, um, he inherited Bag End, and most hobbits assumed that he would uh, settle down and be nonsensical like his father. And they were mostly correct for a little bit. Uh, However, as he got a little bit older, he began to seem strange and would often take long walks, meeting with dwarves who traveled through the Shire. (gasps) Yeah, that's kind of unheard of with most hobbits. In 2941, as I mentioned earlier, Bilbo left the Shire with Gandalf and 13 dwarves on a quest to take back Erebor from the dragon Smaug. Bilbo faced trolls, saw the wonderful Rivendell, escaped the mazes of Goblin Town and the riddles of Gollum. Uh, he met with a skin changer, killed giant spiders, broke his friends out of the dungeon of the Elven King. What else? Snuck in the dragon's lair and bartered with the Arkenstone and survived the Battle of the Five Armies. His success on the quest led to his fame and much fortune, and he returned home wealthier than ever. Now, nearly everyone thought him cracked up. It's not the same. What what you think you are in the real world. Yeah. You know, it's always a little different at home. Bilbo had found a magic ring in the caves of Gollum and kept it with him when he returned to Bag End. This ring prevented him from aging past 50. So basically he turned 50 and he looked the same after that. And though he was old, many hobbits remarked on how young he still looks. It was later discovered by Gandalf that his ring um, was the one ring and was destined to fall into his hands. Uh, He calls it fate. Some call it chance. Some call it luck. Who knows? 
Mm-hmm. He often had strange visitors like the dwarves and Gandalf and left the Shire multiple times to journey to the Lonely Mountain again. When his cousin Frodo, who had become well acquainted with uh, after Frodo's parents' death, oh. was deemed old enough to inherit Bag End, Bilbo planned an elaborate birthday party with Gandalf in which he would announce he was leaving the Shire for good. After his disappearance, Bilbo left for Rivendell and went one more time to Erebor before retiring in the last homely house to the end of his days, occasionally touching up on his Red Book, which is his account of the uh, quest of Erebor. Mm -hmm. After the War of the Ring, Bilbo accompanied Frodo and some of the greatest elves of the Third Age to the Grey Havens, where he would sail to the Undying Lands and presumably die in peace there. Mm-hmm. So even though he went to the Undying Lands, he's immortal, so he's still going to die. But yeah. he got to witness the Undying Lands. So dying in a better place. Yeah. And so now, what about Frodo? I don't know. What about him? Let's talk about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frodo Baggins was the second cousin once removed of Bilbo Baggins. Uh, Drogo was Bilbo's second cousin. And he became the heir of Bag End after his parents drowned in the Brandywine. Frodo loved his uncle which is what he called him, and mm-hmm. loved the stories he would tell and was very much like his uncle, although his mother was a brandy book, not a took. Bilbo also gave up his magic ring to Frodo very willingly, uh, which is very important, and Gandalf warned Frodo not to use it. Gandalf would periodically visit Frodo to check on him, and he began to tell him the history of the lands and of the ring, until finally he revealed that it was indeed the one ring. At that point, Gandalf suggested he take it to Rivendell so that the wise might decide what to do with it. Frodo sold Bag End to the Sackville Bagginses of all hobbits and moved to Crick Hollow in the land of his childhood, which is Buckland. Frodo took the ring along with his friends through the Old Forest to Tom Bombadil, to the Barrow Downs, and to Bree where he met the ranger named Strider. Strider, after convincing the hobbits he was good, guided them the rest of the way to Rivendell, dodging some ring wraiths along the way. Um... And at Weathertop, actually, they didn't really dodge it this time, but Frodo does get stabbed in the shoulder from a ring knife, so. Wow, dude. You know, I guess, you know, one miss is not bad. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so after fading in and out of consciousness, Frodo was brought to Rivendell where he was healed by Elrond. In Rivendell, Frodo made up his mind to carry the ring to Mordor and destroyed it at the Council of Elrond. It, not destroyed it, just to destroy it. Mm-hmm. He hasn't done it yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, along with the Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo went south into the mines of Moria where he lost his friend Gandalf, into Lorien, down the Great River, and into the Amin Mule where he found Gollum stalking him. After taking Gollum captive and making him swear his loyalty, he was guided to the Black Gate and then into Thilion where he met Faramir, brother of Boromir. Also, this is another thing too. I know some people say Faramir. Like, the AR doesn't make that sound. It's far a mirror. Far Gosh, guys. I'm a bit of a stickler for language and stuff. You'll 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 yeah, figure you'll it out in other episodes. Sometimes I get a little too worked up about it. Just mm-hmm. don't take me seriously, I guess. Um, after meeting the rangers of Athelion, Frodo and Sam and Gollum are led to Kirith Ungol, where they climb the long stairs and are amb- <laughs> ambushed <laughs> and are ambushed by both Gollum and the spider Shelob. Frodo has another uh, near-death experience when stung by Shelob, but Sam rescues him, and they both enter Mordor. Mordor. Toiling endlessly, they trek across the volcanic terrain. Jeez, terrain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, well. uh, It's okay. Yeah, and fight their way towards Mount Doom, getting (laughs) ambushed. I keep saying ambushed, weird. (laughs) Ambushed. 
Ambushed. by Gollum another time. Frodo, within the Samoth Naur, uh, claims the ring for his own when the temptation is too strong until Gollum bites his finger off and Frodo is saved. <laughs> uh, Frodo helps save the Shire when they return from Sharky and his ruffians, though he leaned towards the pacifist side. He didn't want to fight. He just he just wanted to be at peace. Hey, that's respectable. Yeah, that's respect, man. He later became the interim uh, mayor of... Mikkel Delving, while the previous mayor recovered from being held in a cell for a couple of months and starved. Mm. Uh, he never married or had kids of his own, so when he left to meet Bilbo, Galadriel, and Elrond on their way to the Grey Havens, he left Bag End and all that he had to Sam and his family. Same life. Until the very end of his days, Frodo lived on the Isle of Tol Eresea in peace and reflection until his death, an unknown amount of years later. Good for him. Yeah. He suffered a lot. Died peacefully. And now we get to talk about his friend, Samwise Gamgee. Sammy. Yeah. What can I say about Sam that wouldn't make you love him? I don't know. He's often equated as the real hero of the Lord of the Rings trilogy because of his bravery and his determination to help Frodo succeed through every step of the journey. If it wasn't for Sam, Frodo would have never made it to Mordor. Yeah. Uh, but also, if it wasn't for Gollum, the ring would have never been destroyed. So you it wasn't pick for Sauron, they would have never made the ring. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So pick your poison. I yeah. don't know. Sam is a simple hobbit, more hobbity than Bilbo or Frodo. He is the son of Hamfast Gamgee of Bagshot Row, just down the path from Bag End. Yeah. See, there's another Bag End. Bag End. Awesome. Bagel End, where Bilbo and Frodo lived. As such, he was well acquainted with both and enjoyed hearing Bilbo's stories, which gave him a deep interest in elves, poems, and the wider world outside of the Shire. Hamfast, also called the Gaffer, was a gardener by trade and was the principal gardener of Bilbo's Bag End Garden. That's a lot of garden stuff. Garden, garden, garden. Samwise also took up this trade as his father became older and less able to tend to the gardens. Sam often wandered around outside of Hobbiton and knew all of the lands within a 20-mile radius. He was also a frequent visitor of pubs and inns and loved a good pint of brew and loved the Green Dragon, which was close to his home. One time, while at the Green Dragon, Sam had a discussion with Ted Sandymine. Sandymine? <laughs> oh, some man. <laughs> uh, had a discussion with Ted Sandyman, the miller, about his cousin Hal seeing a walking tree man in the north, as well as elves walking through the Shire. Um, Sam was discredited, though. Poor guy. <laughs> Sam was one of the conspirators recruited by Mary to watch over Frodo and to learn as much information as possible so that they could make sure he was safe. One night, while Gandalf was visiting Frodo, Sam was working in the garden close to the windows of Bag End so he could eavesdrop on the conversation. There he learned that Bilbo's ring, the ring Frodo inherited, was actually the one ring forged by Sauron and that Sauron was aware it was or in... Or it, yeah, it was in or near the Shire. Sam guessed aloud for fear of his master, and when he was caught, he was allowed to join Frodo on his exile slash adventure to get rid of the ring instead of being turned into something unnatural, which Gandalf was threatening to turn him into, like, what was it, like a frog or something like that? Yeah. Know. But then he was like, oh, I'm never going to do that. Don't worry about it, buddy. Don't worry about but it. But he's like, but as a treat, you get to go to the ends of the earth. And almost nice. die a few times. Um, <laughs> Sam then followed along with Frodo as he went to Crick Hollow, um, as well as the rest of the journey through Middle Earth. You know, you know the deal. Mm -hmm. uh, in Bree, Sam befriends a poor, skinny pony owned by Bill Fernie, and he names the pony Bill. Bill was a faithful pony through and through. Sam was delighted in Rivendell, 
um, when he was finally able to see elves and as many as he wanted to as well. But unfortunately, before the West Gate of Moria, Bill needed to be let go before they plunged into darkness, and Sam was afraid for him because of the wolves that were hunting in the area. Luckily, Bill had some sense, and he found his way back to Rivendell, so we can all, you know, just be glad that he's safe, safe and warm. Yeah. At the falls of Rauros, when Frodo attempts to sneak off, Sam discovers his master's plot, and he sets off to find him and join him. Reluctant at first, Frodo is relieved to have a friend with him. Upon capturing Gollum in the Emin Mule, Sam is ultimately, and well-deservingly, distrustful of Gollum, and always suspects him of some nasty trick. Though Gollum provides, er, sorry, my mouse was over that, her cursor. Though Gollum proves somewhat faithful because of his oath on the ring, Sam was right in the end when Gollum led Frodo and Sam to the lair of Shelob and ambushed them. When Frodo is stung by Shelob, Sam is faced with a hard decision. There are orcs nearby from Kirith Ungol, so he takes the one ring and sting and the file of Galadriel and sets off to finish the job, believing his master to be dead. However, when he hears the orcs taking Frodo away and saying out loud that he was still alive, he decides to stay and rescue Frodo. Good guy. Good guy. Mm -hmm. Always there for his friend. Uh, Along with Sting and the file and possibly the ring creating an ominous aura, the few remaining orcs who had fought between themselves over what to do with Frodo believed that a tall elvish warrior was within Kirith Ungol stalking them. After rescuing Frodo, Sam and his master don orcish armor and gear and sneak across Mordor, narrowly avoiding dangerous situations until they come to Mount Doom. While Frodo was weak, Sam carried him up the mountain. Uh, So, strong man Sam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gollum once again ambushed the two hobbits, and Frodo continued up the mountain while Sam took care of Gollum. Finally, having pity on the poor creature as soon as he had the opportunity to kill him. Um, so he kind of, you know, he kind of realized what Bilbo and Frodo felt. You know, you wanted to kill Colum at first, but you're like, you know what, this this dude's this dude's seen a lot. Yeah. Um, after the destruction of the One Ring and the downfall of Sauron, Sam returned home to the Shire, and he helped in the eradication of the ruffians from his home. Sam went to find Farmer Cotton to warn him of the uprising, and also to see if Rosie was safe. Aww. Aww. Uh, after the saving of the no, there it is. <laughs> after the saving of the Shire, Sam utilized the gift Galadriel had given him in Lothlorien. It was a gray box with soil from Lorien and a Malorn nut, a good old nut. Mm-hmm. He planted the nut where the party tree had previously stood and used the soil to fertilize it. The rest of the soil he threw into the air on a windy day, and the in quotes magic of Galadriel spread throughout the Shire. And all the trees that were cut down were quickly replaced by new ones. And the gardens and orchards and the fields were very abundant the following harvest. After serving as a mayor of Mickle Delving, a record seven terms, and each term seven years, that's 49 years total that he was mayor, the hobbits loved him. Because, you know, just, it's Sam. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyways, after serving uh, as mayor for a record seven terms, Sam retired with his wife, Rosie. And his 13 children. That's a lot of kids. Eh, Working a lot. Yeah. A lot of work. Working overtime, if Mm -hmm. you know what I mean. Uh, Yeah. So he retired with his wife, Rosie, and his 13 children in Bag End, which Frodo had left for him. Sam, being a brief time, for a brief time, a ring bearer, was permitted to sail to the West when he became weary of the world. And he did so at 102 years old, where he would later die on the Isle of Tol Erisea alongside his friend Frodo. Before leaving Middle-earth, Sam entrusted the Red Book to his daughter, Eleanor. 
Well, that was a lot of talking. Those were the big three, man. Bilbo, Frodo, Sam. I feel like my jaw is just going to fall off. Well, give your jaw a little rest while I introduce them to Marion Pippin. Thanks, brother. Yeah, so you guys all know Marion Pippin. Mary, I'm going to focus on Mary first. Mary Doc Brandybuck was his full name. It's part of the Brandybuck family, which we'll talk about later. But so Mary was born in uh, third age, 2982. He was the only child of uh, Sardoc Brandybuck and the master of Buckland uh, and Esmeralda Took. So uh, he has he had uh, some Tookish. Tookish in him as well as a Brandybuck. Um, and uh, Esmeralda Took was the young sister of Paladin II Took, which made him the first cousin to Paladin's son Pippin who is his close friend. So Mary and Pippin were cousins. And uh, Mary is often considered the most perceptive and intelligent of the hobbits. Uh, for example, knowing of the One Ring and its power even before Frodo left the Shire. Uh, he guarded Bag End after Bilbo's party, protecting Frodo from the various and often unwanted guests. And he was also the force behind the conspiracy of Sam Pippin and Fredegar Bolger and himself to help Frodo. Uh, he was a knight of Rohan, uh, which happens uh, towards the end of the War of the Ring. And after the War of the Ring and they got back, he became the master of Buckland for 52 years. Uh, and after he got back, he married Estella Bolger. Uh, and uh, later on in life, he wrote Old Words in the Names of the Shire, in the Shire, which is the book I mentioned earlier. And Old Words in the Names in the Shire was a short commentary written... Uh, by Mary, and it was a document. It was, the document was meant to show the relationship between the language of the Rohirrim and that of the Shire Hobbits, and it was kept in the library of at Buckleberry, which, if you remember from earlier, I mentioned that Hobbits didn't come up with their own language; uh, they just uh, evolved their language from uh, the Rohiric language. So, uh, Mary just wrote a history about that, and he died at 102 years old. And was laid to rest next to his best friend Pippin. Uh, and then once Aragorn, uh, King Elisar died, um, they were moved and they were laid to rest next to uh, King Aragorn's tomb. So then his friend Pippin, Peregrine, took. Um, and I'm not going to go into all what they did because Grant talked about what Sam and Frodo did, which is pretty similar to what they did other than like... Uh, the Rohan and yeah, split I'll off what, a little bit. Yeah. I'll mention what Pippin did, but yeah. So Peregrine took part of the Took family, which is how he's first cousins with Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pippin was born the Paladin the Second Took in Elegante Banks on the spring of uh, Third Age twenty nine ninety. Um, so that makes him younger than. Um, Isn't he the youngest? Yeah, he's the youngest. Yeah, he's the youngest of the four hobbits. Yeah. Yeah. He was also the youngest of four children. He had three older sisters, Pearl, Pimpernel, and Provincia. Nice. His father's sister, Esmeralda Took, was the mother of Mary Doc Brandybuck, which is how Pippin connects to Mary, their first cousins. Yeah. Um, And through his father, Pippin was the second cousin, once removed to Frodo Baggins, and the first cousin, twice removed to Bilbo. Um. So there's a lot of family connections going oh, yeah. on there, but it's, it's hobbits are obsessed with family. Yeah, and there's a lot of f- family connections going on throughout all of the Shire. Yeah. Um, and 
later on in the War of the Ring, he was a Thane, or no, uh, guard of the Citadel and a Knight of Gondor. Yeah. Um, and then once he got back, he became the Thane of the Shire. Yeah, following his father's footsteps, yeah. Yes. And then he married Diamond of Longcleave, which was his wife when he got back from back to the Shire. And he was around 94 years old when he died. Uh, and like I said, he was buried next to Mary and then... Oh, yeah, they uh, they went down to Gondor. Yeah, and then he was they got moved and buried next to the tomb of King Elisar. No, buddies forever. Yes, and that's all I have on those two little guys. Two little guys. But speaking of... Great characters. Well, not little guys. They are technically the tallest hobbits, but they were technically on uh, PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs, so they're not natural. Yeah. Like uh, the old Took, who's technically the tallest. But oh, yeah. They had steroids. And we can move on to Grant. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the infamous Sackville Baggins family. So the Sackville Baggins were a branch of the Baggins family started by Longo Baggins. I got to say again, Hobbit names are just incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so started by Longo Baggins and his wife, Camellia Sackville. Longo was Bilbo's uncle, the younger brother of his father. They had one son named Otho, which was Bilbo's cousin. Mm-hmm. Sackville was a young family name of the hobbits, being related somewhat to Baggins, as they both contain the element bag or sack, which is also used in the terms bag and or cul-de-sac, which were also considered the same thing. Yeah. Because um, bag end is the end of a bag, and a cul-de-sac is the end, like, of a street. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um Baggins was considered the more rural British form of the name, while Sackville was considered the more snobby, high-end name based on the Norman-French conquest of England, which changed a lot of names in the British Isles, like how cul-de-sac was French in origin and came to England. Um, The Sackville Baggins, which consisted of Otho and his wife Lobelia Bracegirdle, um, thought highly of themselves and considered themselves the rightful heirs um, of Bag End and not Frodo, who was more distantly distantly related to Bilbo than they were. When Bilbo disappeared from Bag End on his adventure to the Lonely Mountain, Otho and Lobelia most likely prompted the estate sale of Bag End and also allegedly took some of Bilbo's finest silverware and never returned it. <clears throat> and that was kind of a running joke with Bilbo. He kept mentioning it. Um, mm-hmm. um, Otho died at 102 before he ever saw the inside of Bag End, and his son Lotho and his wife, Lob- uh, well, Otho's wife, Lobelia, his, so uh, Lotho's mom. There's a lot of Otho. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Had to clear my throat there. It's all good. Uh, anyway, so uh, they did come into possession of Bag End when Frodo left for Crick Hollow. Doubtless, they were excited, you know. Mm-hmm. Lotho became greedy and inherited his father's pipeweed plantations in the south, where he likely first came into contact with Sauron a.k.a. Sharky. Once Sharky took over the Shire, Lotho was deceived and became a prisoner of Sharky within Bag End. It was implied that Grima Wormtongue killed and ate Lotho at the bidding of Saruman. Ate him? Yeah. What the heck? That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, um, dude! Lobelia was sent to the prisons at Nickel Delving for standing up to the ruffians and attacking them with her umbrella. What a, what a, what a great person. A stand-up lady. Yeah. Uh, Frodo finds her and releases her from the prisons, and she is popular for once in her life for standing up to the ruffians. Mm-hmm. She ends up returning Bag End to Frodo, and before she dies, she gives Frodo the rest of her money to help the hobbits made homeless by Saruman. Oh, nice of her. We've got a few more hobbits, don't we? A few more famous hobbits. 
Yes. So we got the old Took, which we've talked about a little bit, but uh, the old Took's real name was Gerontius Took. And he was a friend of Gandalf and was a direct descendant of many famous hobbits, like his great uncle, um, uh, his great uncle of the Took family, uh, <laughs> Bolroar Took, which I'll oh, talk okay, about later. Yeah. Sorry. I got mixed up for a second. So at some point, um, Gandalf was said to have given him a pair of magic diamond studs that fastened themselves and never came undone until ordered. So he, it was just a gift Gandalf gave him because they were good friends. They were mates. Um, Gerontius married Adamanta Chubb and had 12 kids. So he was also working hard, working nine to five. Working man. Uh, some, uh, some important ones, Hildegrim, which was the great-grandfather of uh, Pippin and Mary, Belladonna, the mother of Bilbo Baggins, and Marabella, the grandmother of Frodo Baggins. And the old Took was Thane for 72 years until he died in 2920 of the Third Age. And his great-uncle, Boror Took, uh, his real name was Brandabas Took, Um, he was born in Third Age 2704, and he was the second son of Thane... Isumbras the third and would be the great great grand uncle of Bilbo Baggins um, like I mentioned earlier Brandobas was noteworthy among hobbits for his exceptionally large stature being four feet five inches tall dang and he was he was really good at riding horses which was not common for hobbits to ride horses because um, if you remember from the Hobbit the book um, uh, Bilbo do- is he technically isn't riding a horse it's like a donkey um and uh or just a smaller horse and he's not very comfortable with it at first because he's not used to it um brandavas also gained fame for leading the hobbits at the battle of the green fields in third age 2747 uh, when the goblins from mount graham in the misty mountains invaded the north farthing which is important because the hobbits rarely went to war and it wasn't a common thing for them to do like how um i think the only other time that's really recorded is uh the sack of the shire um after the war of the ring yeah um but brandavas it was said charged the goblins ranks with a wooden club and knocked off the goblins chieftain uh gulf and bull's head clean off sending it sailing a hundred yards through the air and down a rabbit hole thus winning the battle and inventing the game of golf at the same time nice a little fun fact for you <laughs> um and then from brandavas were descended the north tooks of Longcleave, where pippin's uh wife diamond would hail from and then he died in third age 2806 so dang he was an old guy but old boy and lastly, we're going to talk about Smeagol slash Gollum. So Smeagol, Gollum, you all know Gollum. Yeah, uh, come on. Another come name. On. Another name is name. Another name, name is Trahad. Trahold. Yeah, Trahold. Trahold. Yeah, Trahold. So he was born in Third Age, twenty four thirty, and died at the age of five hundred and eighty nine, because he was a ring bearer, and the ring allowed him to live for a long time. So Smeagol, originally a storish hobbit, was born, third age, 2430, and Smeagol spent his early life's living, life, not life's, living with his extended family under the matriarch, uh, his grandmother. And 
around year 24, uh, 63. So when he was 33, which forgot to mention, hobbits come of age around 36 years yes, old. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Smeagol became the fourth bearer of the One Ring uh, after uh, Sauron, Isildur, and Deagle, his uh, cousin who found the ring in the bottom of the river, mm-hmm. picked it up, took it. You guys know the story. If you don't, it's a very interesting story. You should read about it. Uh, but we do have a full episode on the ring. Um, so then he, after that, he, uh, had the ring and it started to take influence over him and he got kicked out of his family and he became Gollum. Uh, and he was called Gollum because of the sound, the sound he made. Um, he lived in the Misty Mountains for over 400 years, uh, living on raw blind fish, which he caught in a small rowboat, uh, bats and occasionally, occasionally small goblins. And he found Hobbin elvish, elvish food uh, repulsive. He helped Frodo and Sam take the ring to Mount Doom and fell in with the ring. Uh, kind of Sorry, that's the spoiler. Um, and then years after Gollum's death, Frodo would forgive him, as Gandalf had pointed out to him, that Gollum was not an evil entity uh, deserving death, but a pitful, pitiful being unnaturally and irreversibly bound to the ring's will. And that Frodo would have almost certainly suffered a similar fate had he kept the ring, like you see at the end of The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, pretty close. He almost did it. Yeah, so Gollum is probably, I guess other than the three main hobbits, Gollum is the most recognizable hobbit. Mm-hmm. Um, Because even while he is Gollum, he's still technically a hobbit, even though he doesn't look like that. other hobbits. He's just had the ring for so long, it's aged him and degraded him so much oh, yeah. that he looks like that. So that's what we have for the famous hobbits. Uh, we're moving on to our last section now. Yes, we are. Yes, sir. We've got, uh, so yeah, we talked about history. We talked about famous hobbits. And now this last section is all going to be all about culture and family, basically. Mm-hmm. Family. Nothing better. Family. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about gift giving because hobbits' idea of gift giving is a little different than, at least in America, what we would do for gift giving Mm -hmm. so gift giving giving (laughs) geez i talk way too fast sometimes gift giving in hobbit culture is different from what we are used to hobbits upon being born are given a gift from the head of the family as a sign that they are accepted into the family and this also applies to children that are adopted into families as well when hobbits turn three years old imagine this uh, imagine being three. <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> no, but imagine this. The child at three years old will give a gift to its parents. It is usually something that is found or made or grown that has some sort of meaning to the child. As the hobbit becomes older, he will give presents out to all of his friends or family or neighbors instead of receiving gifts from the said recipi- recipients. In this way, nearly every hobbit gets many gifts throughout the year um, instead of a few on one day. Bilbo, after coming by his wealth from Erebor and the trolls, was known for giving lavish gifts on his birthday. And gifts were also used as a way to pay for services and favors or to give thanks for uh, to those who are close to you or who are just your great friends. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of used like gifts are kind of like almost like a like a form of payment. And then also on your birthday, you give other people gifts instead of people giving you gifts. Just a little different. So, yeah, yeah what else we got? Uh, we have personality. So, hobbits are, if so, uh, you know the aesthetic cottage core. Yeah. If you imagine like peak cottage core, 
that would most likely be a hobbit. Peak hobbit core, basically. Peak hobbit core, yeah. yeah. So, uh, most hobbits enjoyed farming, food, ales, and parties, and giving and receiving of presents, like Mm -hmm. Rand just mentioned. Yeah. Um, The hobbits, particularly those of the Shire, are very insular and suspicious of other people from other places and anything that disturbs the peace. Hobbits refer to people outside the Shire as outsiders, being a very broad term, or simply those foreign to any region. So they're uh, they're very uh, they have their community and they live in their community and yeah, um, yeah very they don't close. really venture outside or yeah. have people venture into their community. Very tight knit. Yes, although the hobbits are peaceful people who usually shun fighting, they also are as a race very courageous, uncanny marksmen. Adept with missile weapons of all kinds, from nice. throwing stones to slings and bows. Hence, the company of archers uh, sent to aid uh, in the Battle of Fornos. Yeah. And also, another thing to mention with them being very courageous is that there are seven uh, ring bearers, and five of them are hobbits, or were hobbits. Yeah, the ring bearers of the uh, one ring, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's very interesting that the hobbits... Oh yeah, I, did, I never even realized that five of them were hobbits. Yeah, the other the other two was Isildur and Sauron. Isildur, Sauron. Then you have Deagle, Smeagol, Bilbo, Frodo, and Sam. Wow. Yeah, so it's interesting how hmm. hobbits were such a small part of the history leading up to the Third Age. Yeah. And l- pretty late into the Third Age, uh, but they are the main part of the probably the biggest event in all of Middle Earth. Yeah. Definitely the biggest event, third age, because it ends the third age. Right. But yeah, so then uh, that's your personality, but there's different clans and families in the Hobbits. So there's a ton of Hobbit, little Hobbit families. Yeah. Um, the biggest ones are probably the Baggins. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go further back, you have the Brandy Bucks, the Tooks, the Follow Hides. Um, oh, wait, no, that's a type of Hobbit. Yeah. Um, there's uh, Proud Feet. Yes. Um, brace Girdles. Mm-hmm. Um, hard bottles. There's a lot of different families. Yeah, you can just look through. Keep going on and on and on. But there are a lot of families, but there's only three different types of hobbits. So I'm going to go through those three quick. Yeah, these are like the ancient families, basically. Yeah. So the first is the Harfoots, were the most common hobbits. They were smaller and shorter than any other kind and had browner skin. They did not grow beards and rarely wore shoes or boots. They were skilled with their hands and feet and preferred hillsides and highlands to live in. In ancient times, they had frequent contact with the dwarves of Middle-earth and lived in the foothills of the mountains for a long time. While the other varieties of hobbits were still in the wilderlands, uh, the Harfoots moved west, traveling across Eridor as far as Weathertop. And uh, notable Harfoot is Sam. Sam was a Harfoot. Nice. So moving on, the Stores often lived uh, near water or on flat land, and they were broader and heavier in build than other hobbits, and their feet and hands were larger. Uh, they were the most reluctant variety of hobbits to leave the River Anduin, uh, where some stores continually or continued to stay. Others traveled west after the Harfoots and followed the River Loudwater southwards. Many of the stores settled between Tharbad and the borders of the Dunland before they continued north. Um, in some notable stores are Deagle and Smeagol, um, because they were fishing, which on the boat, which wasn't very common for uh, hobbits. And um, Farmer Cotton was a store. Yeah. Then lastly, we have the Follow Hides, who preferred trees and woodlands, and were the uh, least common variety of hobbit. 
that they had fair skin and hair and were taller and slimmer than others. They also had better relations with the elves of Middle-earth and were more skilled with language and song and preferred preferred hunting to tilling. They crossed the mountains north of Rivendell and followed the river Horwell. And some famous follow hides are Bilbo, Frodo, Pippin, and Merry. So those are the three main types of hobbits, and the families branch off from there, but they can all trace back to those one of those three yeah. uh, clans of hobbits. Yeah. Back to Grant. Back to me. Back, back to, to you. Me. So this is arguably... Arguably. The, arguably, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, I've been talking for so long. It's all good. Today, it's just like I'm starting to lose everything. Arguably, I'm losing my marbles. This is arguably the probably most famous thing about hobbits is their um, <laughs> well, <Feet. yeah. laughs> uh, smoking pipe weed. Mm. Very popular. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning. Commonly okay. known as pipe weed or halfling's leaf in the Third Age, it is known in Sindarin as Galinas. It originated in Numenor and was brought over by the Numenorians during their Second Age exploration, and the plant thrived in the warm climate of Gondor. The folk of Gondor thought little of sweet Galinus other than the fact that they appreciated its sweet-smelling flower, which they encountered in the wild, and it had little medicinal value, so they largely left it alone. However, later on in the Third Age, many Gondorians traveled up the Greenway uh, to Bree and further to Fornost and brought the flower with them because of its fragrance. It kind of reminded them of home. The climate of Eriador was much cooler than Gondor, so it did not grow as well. The only place it actually took root was around Bree Hill and in the southern shire around uh, the Marish. Both places mentioned tended to have a marshy or swampy habitat, evidently good for growing pipeweed. Mm, nice. In Bree, though some Shire hobbits would argue it, the art of drying Westman's weed, as it was also called, and smoking it in pipes was born, possibly in the Prancing Pony, where Mary Brandybuck, in his Notes on the Herb Lore of the Shire, um, says that the Prancing Pony was the home and center of the smoking art. A few varieties are still grown on the Bree Hill into the Third Age, and because Bree was at a crossroads, the art of smoking the newly dubbed pipeweed traveled quickly. First, many hobbits of the Shire took up the practice and began growing in the South Farthing. Here is where their argument comes into play. They claim that Tobold Hornblower, a.k.a. Old Toby, was the first hobbit to begin growing and harvesting pipeweed as a farm and source of income, rather than harvesting it from the wild. So that's where their claim comes from, that, oh, we're the first to do it. They're just the first to cultivate it, basically. Yeah, yeah, so Toby's pipeweed was the base for some of the best-known pipeweed varieties around, such as, um, well, I can't even remember. Old Toby was one of them, I guess. Um, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, sorry. Other travelers passing through Bree also took up the art, such as the Rangers, the Folk of Breeland, Wizards, notably Gandalf and Radagast, and Dwarves. At some point, Sauron ridiculed Gandalf for falling low to smoking pipeweed, though he secretly took an interest to it after a while. He initially thought this was why Gandalf took such a keen liking to hobbits, though after the whole ring debacle, it was made more clear. Uh, Saruman, when sending his spies to the Shire, also began to collect pipeweed to be brought to Isengard for his own enjoyment, which eventually led to his taking over of the Shire. In one of the prologues of the Lord of the Rings, uh, Tolkien mentions that pipeweed was a variety of Nicotiana, a.k.a. tobacco. Um, Let me say that again. It's tobacco. 
It's not marijuana. Tobacco. Tobacco. Um, if you think it's aramana. Aramana. <laughs> <laughs> if you think it's aramana. I think Grant's on some aramana Oh, right my now. gosh. If you think it's marijuana, you are an immature Tolkien fan. Oh, whoa. Grant, Grant's going that. really hard in this I'm first episode. I'm going hard, man. You just need to learn a few things about us. There are... There are certain things that, like, I just will not tolerate because that's such a stupid theory. Why <laughs> would you think it's marijuana? He clearly says in the prologue it's nicotiana, which nicotiana. is tobacco. Nicotine. <sighs> people, 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 people. Uh, anyways, <laughs> Tolkien considered himself in many ways to be likened to a hobbit, including the smoking of tobacco. So, yeah, it's tobacco. Uh, that, well, okay, so we've got a little bit more. Just a tiny little bit more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it real quick. It, it's okay. just a little quick section. Uh, it's kind of Tolkien's inspiration behind the hobbits. There's a lot more than that. What? Like, there's a lot more than what I'm going to say. I'm just going to say the very basic things that most people would find if they researched it. Here's a quote from Tolkien himself: "I am, in fact, a hobbit in all but size. I like gardens, trees, and unmechanized farmlands. I smoke a pipe and like good plain food." I like and even dare to wear in these dull days ornamental waistcoats. I'm fond of mushrooms out of a field, have a very simple sense of humor, and I go to bed late and get up late, and I do not travel much. That's a quote. Nice. Tolkien was an inspiration to himself on Hobbits, basically. Though the name Hobbit has a connection to Hobgoblin, with Hob uh, both meaning small or short, um, that's actually not the main inspiration. Tolkien didn't really have that word in mind at all when he kind of came up with Hobbit, and he made it up on a whim and then realized the connections later uh, to other words such as the Old English Hobbitla, which we've mentioned a little bit before in this episode. Mm -hmm. And while grading papers um, while he was a professor at Oxford, Tolkien scribbled a note that said, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. That's mm -hmm. where those famous words came from. Yeah. Um, he was apparently partially inspired by a hole-dwelling creature written about by one of his students. So there's a little more inspiration there. So whoever that student is. Get in contact with us. Yeah, good <laughs> good job. Good for you, yeah. man. You, I hope you, you passed. Uh, yeah, you unknowingly started this whole thing, and it's it's been great. It's been yeah. a fun time. Um, the Marvelous Land of Snurgs, a children's book by Edward White Smith and Babbitt. A novel by Sinclair Lewis were possible Babbitt. inspirations for Tolkien's Hobbits. Babbitt is a good book. I read it yeah. last year. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Book. Um, and it's about a person who loves the comforts of his own home. Yes, right. Yeah, it's you not very. It. It's not very f fantasy though. It's about this marketing guy. Yeah, well, who yeah. I think I can't remember, like the 1920s or something yeah. in America. Um, and then I have one more thing, and this is a reference to uh, old English history. This is about Hengist and Horsa. Mm. Hengist and Horsa, uh, I can't remember exactly what it means. Horsa obviously means horse <laughs> uh, in Old English. I don't remember what Hengist means, but it has something to do with horses. Um, it Hang might mean stallion or something Hengist, like that. Angus, beef, cow. Oh, gotcha. Thanks. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, uh, Hengist and Horsa were two, I can't remember exactly what they were. They were either Saxons or uh, Jutas or um, Frisians or um, Angles. One of the tribes, the Germanic tribes that went across the sea to settle England. Um, and it could be said that Marco and Blanco, who I talked about earlier in the history of the Shire, are basically Hengist and Horsa because both, mm. both sets of brothers had their names mean something horse like. yeah and then they also 
went across the hobbits only crossed a river, but then Hengist and Horsa crossed the English or what is it called? The English channel or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it, there's a very clear relation right there as well. So that's kind of like, uh, once he came up with hobbits, Tolkien kind of related it to the Shire to England by having these two brothers come over and settle it kind of yeah. like Hengist and Horsa did. So the, History of England and the history of the Shire are all kind of intertwined a little bit. So mm-hmm. that's most of the simplest inspiration for Tolkien. Um, so what we like to do for our podcast episodes, I, I don't know when, I don't know when we start this, but um, we do trivia. Yeah. And we do some Middle Earth current events. We don't have Middle Earth current events right now. Um, there's not a lot going on in the world of Middle Earth. Um, no. Or on our world, actually. Yeah. Um, to this earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we do, and we usually do like three questions of trivia that relates to the episode, but uh, we also found this quiz. It's 25 questions. We're just going to do a rapid fire. Every other person answers a question, or every other question. Uh, <laughs> really well, quick, yeah. fast. Um, so I'll do, I'll do one question. Jay does the next question, kind of back and forth like that. And we'll do it quick, and we'll see if we can get them right while trying to think fast. And we've been talking for a while. We just double-recorded episodes today. Yeah. So we'll, s- we'll see if our brains can keep up. Feel free to play along at home. Feel free also to make fun of us. Or where else, wherever you are. Yeah. Feel free to um, along. <laughs> this is on allthetest.com. It's called mm. Middle Earth Freak Quiz. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why. Schwing. Uh, yeah, Schwing is right. Uh, okay, so that. I'm going to start off. I'm going to do the odd-numbered questions. I'm going to answer them, and then you're okay. going to do the even-numbered even. questions. And I'll, I'll just kind of remind you, like, it's your question now. Okay. <laughs> How many Silmarils were forged by the Master Elf Smith Feanor? Seven, one, three, five, or nine? It was three. Okay, three. Jay, what is the name of the ancient ancestor Shelob who shows up in the Silmarillion? Gorlim, Ungoliant, Morgoth, Finarfin. Ungoliant. Okay. Uh, what was the name of the great ship of Eärendil that sailed across the ocean to Valinor in order to plead with the Valar? Uh, Elwing, Vingolot, Maeglin, Elros. It's Vingolot. Okay, Jay. <laughs> what was the name of the first of the Mieras? This was the ancestor of Shadowfax, the horse that Gandalf has. Is it Felaroth, Arad, Build the Pony, Hasufel, or Brago? Uh, what were the first two? Felaroth, Arad, Build the Pony. Well, I'll you say said two. <laughs> uh, the first one, Felaroth. Felaroth, he's a nice fella. <laughs> uh, what land did Sauron inhabit once he was driven? Oh my God! Oh, oh. I was going to say Mordor at first. What land did Sauron inhabit once he was driven out of a stronghold in Mordor for the first time? Here he was known as a necromancer. Gondor, Isengard, Angband, Mirkwood, Mount Gundabad. Mirkwood. Mirkwood. How did Morgoth lose the first Silmaril, Jay? Gwai here, the eagle, picked it out of his hand. He dropped into a well accidentally. <laughs> the sons of Feanor stormed his castle and took it from him. He crushed it in his hands. Baron Urkamian cut it from his crown. How did he lose the first one? Yep. Uh, was it? It would have to be Baron. Okay. Or is it? No, it's the sons of. Uh, what was the one? The sons, sons of, of Feanor stormed his castle and yeah. took it from him. Maybe the sons of. Yeah, because when Baron, there was only two when Baron took it. So it was the sons of Feanor, right? Okay. I'm just uh, which race was not originally in the Great Eru's plan for Middle Earth? Hobbits, elves, dwarves, ants, men. Dwarves. Dwarves. How did the Entwives disappear, Jay? They were struck with the black breath of Morgoth. They went in search of a garden they could tame. They turned invisible, or the orcs of Sauron destroyed them. 
I'm not really sure like any of these are the exact answer, but I guess just guess as best as you can. I would say the first one. Black Breath of Morgoth. Yeah. Uh, whose little sister was nicknamed Lalith, Baron or Camion, Arwen Undomiel, Peregrine Took, or Turin Turambar? It's Turin Turambar. Yeah, Turin. I just read this in Unfinished Tales. Mm. Which of the hobbits gets married after Frodo departs at the Grey Havens, Jay? Is it Mary, Sam, Fatty Bulger, or Pippin? After what? After Frodo departs for the Grey Havens. Mary. Yeah. I don't even know the answer. It's Mary or Sam. Yeah, I feel like Sam was already married. Yeah. (coughs) What was the name of the island of men created in the second age and flooded over the third? Toll Brandir, Numenor, and Phileas Numenor. Okay. Numenor. Jay, who is it that bravely comes to the rescue of Felagund when he is in mortal peril and is repaid for his deed with a ring that is later bestowed upon Aragorn? Is it Baron Arcamian, Arathorn, Glorfindel, or Barahir? Arathorn. 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 Who originally bore the ring of power that Gandalf ended up carrying? Elrond, Círdan, the shipwright, Saruman, the white. It's Círdan. Círdan, yes. I'm talking so fast, man. (coughs) What did Isildur, Jay... <laughs> oh my gosh, I keep having to You got this. What did Isildur rescue from the collapse of Numenor to bring to the new kingdom of the surviving men of Numenor, a.k.a. Gondor? Oh, the, the, the ninth ring of power, Dwarven artifacts, sapling of the white tree. The sapling sword. of the yeah, white tree. <clears throat> Who was tied with an iron bond to the peak of Thangordrim oh, by his wrist? Oradreth, Fingon, Felagun, Maithros. It's Maithros. Maithros. Uh, who was the first to break the spell of Saruman's voice when the company of the king comes to parley with him after the flooding of Isengard? Gandalf. Oh, sorry, I got to give you oh. <laughs> uh, choices. Uh, Aomer, Legolas the Elf, Theoden, uh, Aragorn, Gimli the Dwarf. Who was the first to break? To break the spell of Saruman's voice. Of Saruman's voice. Aomer, Legolas, Theoden, Aragorn, Gimli. Uh, Theoden. Okay. I think, uh, that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, who was Gimli's father? Balin. No one knows. Bambur or Glowin? It's Glowin. Glowin. Not Gloin, guys. It's not Gloin. It's Glowin. Uh, who names the pony that comes with the company from Bree to Rivendell? Yep. <laughs> I was trying Rapid to see. Fire. I was trying to see if that was an option. <laughs> obviously is. Uh, what is the name of the niece of Fingolfin who appears in the Fellowship of the Ring and aids the company of Frodo? Niece of Fingol. Yeah, that's Galadriel. It's got to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what name is Gandalf called in Gondor? Is it Gandalf Stormcrow, Mithrandir, Aloran, or Greyhame? Is it Mithrandir? Or is that Elvish? I'm just. I mean, it is Elvish, but they do. Speak I'm going to go with okay. Mithrandir. Um, how many Palantir were originally bestowed upon the Numenorians? Seven, twenty-nine, four, seven. Seven. Um, what natural element were the elves born under? Water, stars, the sun, clouds, or trees? Stars. Nice. Um, I can't click on it. Jeez. Just do it. We're almost there. <laughs> what is the name of Elvish Cram? Lembus Sweetcakes Cramboro. <laughs> it's Lembus. Uh, Jay, which couple were distantly <laughs> distantly <laughs> related before they got married? Is it Faramir and Eowyn? Eowyn. That's another one, guys. Uh, it's Eowyn, Old English. Sam and Rosie or Aragorn and Arwen? Aragorn and Arwen. Yeah. Would it be through Luthien? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, who was the smith who forged three elven rings of power? Let's do this at the same time. Sauron, Feanor, Celebrimbor, Thorin. One, two, three, Celebrimbor. There we go. That's um. the final question. Test results. I know you got some wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> I just clicked the answers anyways. <laughs> um, you have correctly answered 20 out of 25 questions. Oh, nice. Let's, uh, let's go back and review real quick. Uh, I know what ones we got wrong, I'm pretty sure. Oh, what the? 
What the heck? Does it not show you? It's like all of the answers are wrong. That's weird. It's art. Corn. Lembus. Stars. I don't know. It like changed the answers because the the multiple choice, like the answers, like um, like the order they're in, they uh-huh. like change if you like reload it. So like now the wrong ones are picked. Um, seven. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Stormcrow and Gondor. Right? Well, what was the question? What name is Gandalf called by in Gondor? Oh. It might be Mithrandir, but I think by the time of the War of the Ring, Denethor calls him Stormcrow. Oh, or maybe okay. that's Rohan. I don't know. Let's just stick with Mithrandir and let's see. Um, It was Galadriel is the niece of Fingolfin because Fingolfin's um, brother is Finarfin. Finarfin's daughter is, yeah, Galadriel. Okay. So Sam is the one that... Um, Names a pony. Who is Gimli's father? Uh, Glowin. Who is the first to break the spell? I'm pretty sure it's Theoden. Um, Maedros. Sapling of the White Tree. Um, Círdan. Then we got... It's not Arathorn who helped Felagund and was given a ring. It was Barahir. Oh, dang. I was thinking yeah. Arathorn because isn't that... <coughs> That's Argon's, Argon's dad. dad. Yeah. But it's Barahir's ring, the mm. ring of Barahir. Oh, I remember that yeah. now. That's Numenor. Um, which of the hobbits gets married after Frodo? I think, I don't know, still go with Mary, yeah. I guess. Because he gets married. Oh, that's <laughs> crazy. Uh, Turin, Turambar, yup. Um, how did the Entwives disappear? I don't that even, one's tough. I don't even think, I don't think it's the Black Breath of Morgoth because it was Sauron. So I, I'm going to go with Orcs of Sauron destroyed yeah. them. Uh, dwarves were not originally planned. Um, <laughs> they were the child that wasn't planned. Yeah. Uh, how did Morgoth lose the first Silmaril? It was Baron that cut it out of the crown. Oh, dang. Yeah. I thought there was only two when he cut yeah. it out. No, he made it, so there was only two. Yeah. He tried to cut out a second. Mm-hmm. Um, what land? It was Mirkwood. Um, it was Felleroth. You got that right, I know. Um, it was Vingalot, his ship's name, and it was um, Ungoliant, and it was three Silmarils. So now let's, oh jeez, now let's resubmit. Let's see what we got. <laughs> what? What? Is it the same? One better. Oh. You have correctly answered 21. I don't get it. I'm going to exit out of this. I hate this. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to this episode, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening, guys. Uh, sorry if it was a little long. You'll find out some of our episodes go for a long while, and we don't even realize it, and yeah. some of them are shorter. Mm-hmm. It just depends on how much fun we have talking about it, or it depends on how tired we are, and we really have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Um yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple, um, and just like give us a rating. Uh, help, it'll help us out, and mm-hmm. um, you know you can visit our, you can email us. I'm pretty sure that'll be in yeah. what, our ad thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can email us any topic suggestions you might have or any questions you might have about us, about Lord of the Rings. Doesn't matter. We will answer them because do it. we don't get a lot of emails anyways. So if you email us we'll definitely answer it on Mm -hmm. the podcast if that's okay uh yeah so thank you guys for listening and thank you for joining us as we explore little